Let's pray, and then we'll get into our time together tonight. God, thank you so much for just being such an amazing God. And Lord, even out in the uh, foyer tonight, I just was hearing story after story from folks who were just sharing with me just how God is working in their life, just either today or this week or whatever. It's just so cool to see you, Lord, working in our lives all the time. And Lord, just if we just look each and every day, Lord, we can see you in our lives and see how you're working. And we're just so thrilled about that. And Lord, tonight, we're just going to ask that you would meet with us tonight and that you would work in our lives tonight. And that, Lord, as we leave this place, we would leave a little bit different than the way we walked in tonight. Because we want you to change us, to make us more like Jesus Christ by being here tonight. That's what it's all about. So God, glorify yourself tonight. Refresh your people tonight. Revive us, Lord. May we leave here, Lord, just excited about knowing you and being a Christian and sharing our faith with those who don't know Christ. And we'll just give you all the honor and praise for every great thing you're going to do. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, let's worship the Lord tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10 is where we're going to begin tonight. And if anyone ever doubted why Pastor Jeff has a passion to see people grow spiritually... Tonight's the night where it's answered why I'm so passionate about seeing Christians grow in their faith. And that's why I get excited when hundreds of people come out on a Tuesday night to study the Word, because that's just one example of it. And we got into a little bit last week, beginning in chapter 4, looking at the marks of spiritual maturity, but I want to continue this discussion tonight, again, picking it up in verse 10, because between the first trip Jesus Christ made to earth and the second trip Jesus Christ is going to make to earth, the main thing that Jesus is involved in is he's building his church. And he wants his church, you and I, to make an impact in the world in which we live. And the foundation upon which that impact is made is our spiritual growth. It is absolutely necessary if the church is going to make the kind of impact in the world in which Christ desires for us to make. In fact, that's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.10 that Jesus Christ, the one who descended, is also the one who ascended above all the heavens in order to fill all things. He didn't come to earth and do all that he did on earth, including going to the cross and being buried and being raised from the dead, just to have a relationship with us. Just to forgive us of our sins. Just to take us to heaven. It was to fill all things. It it goes way beyond just our salvation. Because as we've already learned from the book of Ephesians, to fill all things means that Jesus Christ wants to come into our lives and to stretch us beyond our limitations. That just like a balloon, He wants us to allow Him to breathe the breath of God into our lives. And instead of our lives being defined by ourselves and others, maybe this big, 
Jesus wants to blow into our life his breath and expand our balloon out to his own limitations, which really is beyond any limitations that we have. In fact, the word fill also means that Jesus Christ wants us to abound, to overflow. It's what Jesus meant in John 10.10 when he said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus Christ came to not just save us, but to give us abundant life. And as I say over and over, abundant life is not simply a quantity of life, it is a quality of life. It is life on a higher plane. It's not just living forever. It is even living here and now on a whole different level. To abound, to overflow, to fill us. And the way we begin to understand what Jesus Christ wants to do in our lives, and the way we begin to allow Him to do all that He wants us, or He wants to do in our lives, is to continue to grow and to go through that process of spiritual growth. Just taking it one day at a time, becoming more like Jesus Christ every day, getting into His Word, praying getting around other Christians who are going after God and allowing all these different resources to just continue to move me forward step by step with Christ. He wants to fill your life. He doesn't want you and I to feel empty. He doesn't want you and I to go through even this life feeling unfulfilled. He wants us to know that that He can fill us up And fulfill us. And bring a fulfillment and a satisfaction that can come through no other vehicle. Other than through a personal growing relationship with Him. Again, I direct your attention to what Paul said. He descended and also ascended so that He might fill all things. He has the ability to fill us up. Then notice verse 11. It was he who gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers to the church. And now Paul begins to remind us, first of all, that Jesus Christ is a giver. And that he gave, as as part of all that he did for us, his ministry to us didn't stop when he ascended to heaven to be at the right hand of God the Father. But even beyond that, He is filling us through His Spirit and through His Word. And He gave us gifts. And and one of the things that He gave to us was gifted men and women to be able to use their gifts to benefit us and to encourage us in our spiritual growth with God. But going back to something I said last week, it's very important that we all know that even though in verse 11, he's predominantly pulling out what we would call ministry positions in the church, that the application of what Paul is saying here throughout this chapter is that each one of us, no matter whether we're a pastor or not, each one of us is a gift to the church. And we're going to see that as we move through here. Because each one of you, has a unique set of gifts, abilities, talents, personality that you bring to the table that no other Christian can bring. 
No one else has exactly that mix that God poured into your life. And each one of us then is a gift to the church in order to build the church up and strengthen the church. And we cannot outgive God. Because many times, the best gifts that come from God aren't even material and physical. They are things that money can't buy. And they're things way more important than any amount of money could buy. And one of those gifts is the peace of God that passes all understanding. Grace, joy, all of those things. Forgiveness of sin. And so he gave gifted people to the church. Now notice verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry that is to build up the body of Christ. First of all, you find a great philosophy of ministry in chapter 4 verse 12. It is a philosophy though that many churches do not abide by. And here's why. Because the philosophy of many churches out there is this. We pay our pastors to do all the work. And we can just come and just sort of soak up from what they do. But as you see from verse 12, that is not a biblical model for the church of Jesus Christ. The biblical model is that pastors and others will equip the saints for all. All of us to do the work of the ministry. That a church that just has a few people doing ministry is a church that will never reach its full potential in Christ. And that's why it is the goal of every church that understands the biblical mandate that Paul is laying down here in Ephesians that realizes that, you know what, what we have to do as a church... And if we let God define our church, here's how we need to do it. We need to get more and more people involved in ministry. And the more people we get involved, the better. And so therefore, that's why we want to go out there and invite people to get involved with ministry and to encourage them to get involved in ministry. Because we understand what Paul is saying here. That every person has something to offer the church. And if that person doesn't get involved then the church is going to miss something and not, in a sense, be running on all the cylinders it could be if everybody got involved and did their part. And we're going to come back to that later on. There's so much more I could say about that, but that's why you see a lot of churches out there, they struggle. They struggle to grow physically. They struggle to grow spiritually because they put the burden of growth on just a few people. Instead of realizing that all of us are ministers, all of us are servants of the Lord. And there may be those of us who have been called by God to equip the saints, but all of us are to be involved in ministry because all of us have something to offer. That's why, if I could just digress for just a moment, when I run into a Christian or someone who at least claims to be a Christian and says, I don't have to go to church. I can worship God on my own, in my house, out in the woods somewhere. I usually take them to passages like this. And basically, I'm pretty, pretty upfront and pretty firm with them. I know that surprises some of you that I can be that way. But, but I, I basically say, here's the bottom line. 
I believe the Bible's teaching that that's, first of all, unbiblical, and second, that's pretty selfish. And here's the reason why it's selfish. Because if you don't choose to come to church and become part of a church for you, that's one thing. But you and I have to understand that God called us to be part of the church for somebody else. And that it's not just about me. It's about what I can bring to the church and how God can use my life to build up the church and to strengthen the church and to encourage other Christians. So when Christians stay away from the church and stay home and say, I don't need to go to church because I can worship God by myself. I mean, technically that's true, but that's not biblical. That's not the way God ran it out. That's not the plan that God had for the church. If we're going to let God define the church, then we've all got to come together because all of us are to be part of the ministry. And all of us are to have the responsibility and the burden of building the church up and growing it. And we need to teach that. And that's what Paul teaches in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. And you'll also notice a very important concept. And this is one that I think will hit home with a lot of you tonight, because it certainly hit home with me personally. It's the word equip. I want you to look at that word. Because in English, the word equip might mean to us, like, I remember going back to my Little League days and our coach passing out, you know, equipment, you know, here, here's our bats, and here's our balls, and yeah, we're, and it's almost like, yeah, Jesus Christ is just out there handing us out equipment. That's not what the word means. It means so much more than that. I mean, he does equip us in that way. He gives us resources to be able to minister. But this beautiful Greek word means to mend or repair. In fact, it's a word that's used in other places in the New Testament to describe the mending of fishing nets. That maybe over use they get holes in them. And they're of no use with holes in them. So the fishermen had to sit down every once in a while and mend those nets and get those holes repaired so that they could use them again. In fact, the very first time that Jesus meets these fishermen, before he calls them to be disciples, the Bible said they were mending nets on the side of the seashore. The same Greek word is used, equip. And any of us, And I'm sure most of us could probably say that there have been many times in our life where we had to go into the repair shop, where we had either hurt ourselves by making some stupid, dumb decisions in our life, or where where others hurt us deeply, and where we were wounded and hurt and in need of mending and repair. And that's exactly what Paul said God does. He does it through the church. He wants the church to be a place where people can come if they've been hurt or hurt themselves and where they can go through a mending and repairing process in order to be prepared for future use. Because there's times in our Christian life where we just need to lay low and we need to allow God to heal us and mend us and repair us because of what we've been through. And that's okay. Because God doesn't expect us to always be fruitful at every season of our life. In fact, Psalm 1-1 says that the, the godly man or woman will bring forth its fruit in due season. A fruit tree doesn't bear fruit all year round. It has certain seasons where it bears fruit. And sometimes when we've been through a very painful experience in our life, we need to lay low and, and be wise enough to allow God to equip us, if you will, to... To, to mend us, to repair us, 
But always know that in the back of God's mind, God is always mending and repairing us so that He can use us again. Because God wants to use you. God never wants us, no matter what we've been through in our life, to get to a point of uselessness. And God can always use us, no matter what we've been through, no matter what we've done, no matter what someone has done to us. When we allow God to heal us and mend us and repair us, God can take us and put us back in the ball game, if you will. And the reason I'm so passionate about this is because I've been through this in my own life. I was deeply, deeply wounded and hurt by a group of other Christians at a point in my life as a pastor. I was crucified by Christians. And some of you may have been deeply hurt by other people in your life. And there was a point in my life where I said, I'm never going to be a pastor ever again. Never. It hurt too much. And I realized I was talking at that moment out of hurt, out of emotion, like we all do when we go through those times. And then God began to equip me. He began to repair my life. He began to mend me. He began to sew up those holes in my life. And eventually God put me back to using me again. And really, that all came through the opportunity to come here to Cornerstone almost three years ago and begin being used again. And if God can do that in my life with what I've been through, He can do that with everyone's life if we just allow Him to take us through that mending and repairing process. Because God never wants anything that we go through, no matter how painful it is, to in a sense knock us out for good. It may knock us down, but God doesn't ever want us as one of His children to be completely knocked out and never get back up. God is always there to heal us, to mend us and repair us so that at some point when He has strengthened us and He knows we're ready to start getting back in to being used again, that He will start slowly getting us back into service. And this is part of the ministry of the church. This is what the word equip means. That the church is to be a place, if we allow God to define it, where all of us can come. And all of us at some point are broken, we're hurt. We've been through some rough times in our life, again, either by our own choice or by somebody else's hand. And God says, this should be a place where you and I can come and be mended and repaired and get those holes fixed so that I can use you again. Because God wants to use us. And that is just something that continues to amaze me even to this day. I've been a Christian for almost 35 years and it amazes me every day that God doesn't ever have to use Jeff Royce, but somehow God wants to use Jeff Royce. And God wants to use you too. Not because He has to use us, but because that's part of His plan for the church. He wants to use every single one of us. Each one of you has a part to play in advancing the cause of Christ on this earth. Everyone. Not just pastors and evangelists and missionaries and prophets. and Every Christian. In fact, that's why, notice he goes on in Ephesians 4.12 to say, to equip Some of the saints, 
To equip 90% of the saints? No, to equip the saints. Unequivocally, he's saying to us that every believer, regardless of background, ability, or status, has a service to perform in the cause of Christ on earth. And we may have to allow God to mend us and repair us at times, but it's always with this thought in mind. Whatever we're allowing God to do at this point, we have to realize God wants to use our lives and will use us if we just allow Him to. As I tell folks throughout my ministry, it's not our ability, it's our availability that really matters to God. It's just making myself available. Story after story throughout the Bible illustrates that point. Whether you're David the shepherd boy going up against Goliath, humanly speaking, the giant wins. But David, that little shepherd boy, made himself available and God's power were in those stones that hit the giant and knocked him down. How about the little boy in the New Testament that gave Jesus the five loaves and two fishes? And through that, just making his lunch available to God, God did miracle after miracle. That's all. God will never ask you for what's not in your hand. He will never ask you or I for what we don't have. All he asks of each of us is that we just simply give him what we do have and let him multiply it and use it for His honor and glory. And you see story after story after story of that illustrated in the Word of God. To equip the saints, notice, for the work of ministry, that is to build up the body of Christ. Not to build myself up, but to build up the body of Christ. To strengthen the body of Christ. Each one of us is to get involved in the work of the ministry. And here's what that phrase literally means. An energetic assistance. Because the word work in the original language is the word where we get our English word energy. And God wants us within the church to be energetically assisting others. So that we can all see the church build up and strengthened and to achieve what God wants the church to achieve, which is to make an impact in our community for Jesus Christ. To be a lighthouse, if you will, to our community. So that for those out there who are seeking answers and wanting to know, where can I go to be mended, to be repaired, to find the truth, there's a lighthouse over there on Alma School in the 202. And God can bring them there. If we're willing to energetically assist, it's not just a matter of assisting, but energetically assisting. And can I just say that played a little basketball in my time since I'm six foot four. And uh, one of the things that I draw from this is in basketball, assists are very important. I may not actually score the basket, but if I make a pass and my teammate scores the basket, in a lot of ways, at least in basketball, if you're a team player, that brings as much fulfillment and joy seeing you're assisting someone else to score because ultimately you're helping the team. Because if we're scoring, then the team is scoring. And if we're scoring well enough, then we're probably going to win. And so I, we don't always have to make every basket but as part of the team that God is building here, I'm not always going to make the basket, but I can always be part of assisting others to maybe watch them score as well. And we should be energetically assisting others, if you will, 
in that way. And that's exactly what Paul means in verse 12 by equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That is to build up the body of Christ. Here's how long we do it. Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And can I just say, all means all, and that's all all means. And as far as I know, not every Christian has attained to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And so because of that, I believe it's the church's responsibility to keep on encouraging Christians to grow. And to continue to encourage them to get involved in ministry. And to continue to mend and repair lives and heal lives through the power of God so that people can get back into ministry again and be used by God again. All this so that the body of Christ can be strengthened. And so that we can all attain to a spiritually mature level. Notice verse 13. A mature person. That's the goal. Spiritual maturity. And last week we talked about some marks of spiritual maturity. And really we're still talking about some marks of spiritual maturity. Or at least a spiritually mature church. That that biblically understands the mandate laid before us by Jesus Christ himself. That we are to go after maturity. And that we are continue to strive for maturity in our own lives and the life of our church. Until everyone gets on board, which really isn't going to happen until Jesus comes. So that means we just need to keep on, keep on keeping on. A mature person, notice though, attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. You see, on this side of heaven, none of us, even as Christians who desire to grow, 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 is ever going to be completely like Jesus Christ. We get that. But as a Christian, all of us can attain to a measure of Christ-likeness. There can be in all of our lives, parts of our life that become a lot like Christ. And that's what God wants us to strive for. That we strive for Christ-likeness in thought, word, and deed as much as possible throughout our life. Yes, we'll never attain perfection, but we can attain even on this side of heaven, a measure of Christ-likeness. And that's what he means by attaining a measure of Christ's full stature. Never full stature, but we can attain a measure of it. And here's one of the most important reasons why I am so passionate about spiritual growth and seeing Christians get into the Bible and learn the Bible and grow in the Bible Verse 14, so that we are no longer to be children. Now, when a person accepts Christ, they are what the Bible calls a baby Christian, a child in Christ. And that's great. And we celebrate with them. And we're glad that they are a child at that point. But all the Bible is saying is, just like physically, I shouldn't stay a child because that means then there's something wrong with my growth process I should be growing up into adulthood and maturity. The same thing is true in the spiritual sphere. That if I'm going through the normal growth process, I should at some point leave my 
childhood spiritually and grow up to maturity. Because there's a danger in staying a spiritual child. And that is that I am as susceptible and vulnerable spiritually as a child would be physically. And that's why the Bible uses that metaphor. Children are pretty helpless. If it wouldn't be for adults looking after them, who knows what trouble and problems and predicaments they could get into. And that's why God gave children parents and guardians and overseers, because children are helpless. And my friends, spiritual children can be pretty helpless because they're, they're starting off at a blank slate. They don't know one verse maybe out of here, one chapter out of here, and they're pretty vulnerable to attack. And that's why it's so important that as a church like ours that we encourage spiritual growth and that we get all of Christians, but especially new Christians, into Bible studies and whatnot so that they don't stay children very long. And here's why. Because if they stay children too long, they will be tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. You see, they are likened to persons adrift on a stormy sea with no concept of seamanship. And again... I'd have to put myself in that category from a physical standpoint. I've been out on the ocean a couple times, been out on lakes a couple times. But if somebody was to throw me out in the boat in the middle of one of the great lakes up there in Michigan or even out in the ocean somewhere, I have no clue. I, I've never been trained in seamanship. I, I would be at the mercy of the ocean or the lake out there. And that's exactly the kind of illustration he's saying here. It's just like a Christian being thrown out there to the deep sea and they're just going to be carried by the waves because they have no grounding yet. They have no roots yet. They have no understanding of the Word of God to know that if this person over here says something, well, maybe that's the way it is. And that's why we have to encourage spiritual growth so that there's some kind of of anchor there in their lives to where, because here's what verse 14 is also saying. And we're going to go through these passages tonight because we have some time. I want to show you how important this concept is. That there are so many voices out there today. So much false teaching. So much false doctrine out there. That if we're not grounded in the word of God and continue to grow, we're going to be duped. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 14. Notice, in fact, he says, carried about by every wind of teaching. The great danger to immature faith is false doctrine. It is here compared to strong winds that toss about an unguided boat. Notice such false doctrine is always being pro promoted by crafty men who by trickery and scheming lead their victims into spiritual disaster. And can I just say, based upon Ephesians 4.14 and other passages we're going to quickly look at tonight, that there are many people out there in this world, men and women, who are blowing people up spiritually. Because what they are teaching on television, on radio through their printed material, is not biblical. And because many Christians do not have a solid biblical foundation, they're buying into it. 
And they're experiencing spiritual disaster because they're not growing in the knowledge of the Word of God. This is why I do what I do. This is why the passion is so real for me. Because I have in 24 years as a pastor seen so many Christians whose lives have gotten blown up by exactly what Paul's talking about here. That because they did not make spiritual growth a priority in their life, they were tossed back and forth. They went from one thing to another. And they were carried about by every wind of teaching and by the trickery of people. And it ended in spiritual disaster. I don't want to see any Christian's life end in spiritual disaster simply because they were duped by those false teachers. Now just for a second, because we're going to come back to Ephesians. I want you to see that this isn't just something that I think is a big deal. But that God and His Word says is a big deal because over and over and over again, God hammers this point home in His Word. Let's just take a few minutes to examine some passages tonight that support this. Go with me back to the book of Galatians. Just a few books back from Ephesians to the left in the New Testament. And go to Galatians chapter 1. And I want you to see how strong Paul is about this. In Galatians chapter 1, look at verse 6. Paul says, I am astonished. He's writing to a church in Galatia. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are following a different gospel. Not that there really are different gospels or another gospel, but there are some who are disturbing you and wanting to distort the true gospel of Christ. Notice what Paul says. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be condemned to hell. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Notice he says in verse 9, as we have said before and now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, let him be condemned to hell. That's how strong the importance of knowing what we believe and why we believe it and understanding the Bible and having a foundation in the Bible because it's so easy to be pulled away from the truth of God's Word. And there are many out there today who their sole purpose on earth is to trip Christians up and to pull them down and to pull them and to cause spiritual disaster in their life. It is Jesus who said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But if you and I begin to believe the lies of the devil rather than the truth of God, our lives can be really upset. Go over to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians to chapter 2, which is past the book of Ephesians, past the book of Philippians to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 6. Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and firm in your faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. Be careful, verse 8, not to allow anyone to captivate you through an empty, deceitful philosophy 
that is according to human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him, Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you have been filled in Him who is the head over every ruler and authority. I'm just going to stop there. That ties into what Paul said in Ephesians. The fact that Jesus Christ descended and ascended and did all He did so that He could fill our lives. And if we just realize that in Christ we're full, because in Christ dwells all the fullness of God, and therefore if I'm in Christ... I've got all the fullness of God available to me. And yet there will be false teachers who come into our lives and say, I know you have Christ, and I'm so glad you have Christ in your life, but you need something else. You need Christ plus this. And Paul says, really? Really? Because Christ is the fullness of God. And if I'm in Christ then I have all the fullness I ever need. And so then, my Bible teaches me it's Christ plus nothing. Not Christ plus anything else. I don't need anything else in my life but Jesus. And yet there are many out there today who aren't, in a sense, not putting down Christ, but simply saying, add to Christ this or that. And Paul says, be careful. Be very careful. Then go over to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, chapter 4. We're just going to keep moving to the right a little ways. In 1 Timothy, chapter 4, look at verse 1. Now the Spirit of God explicitly says that in the latter times, some will desert the faith and occupy themselves with deceiving spirits And demonic teachings. I don't know about you, but that just like bowls me over. Because as a pastor, I'm like, I don't want to see anybody deceived by demonic teaching. I don't want to see anybody occupying themselves with deceiving spirits. And yet my Bible promises me that there will be many who instead of staying with the truth and digging their roots down deep into truth and continuing to grow in Christ, they're going to get fascinated by this new teaching over here. And they're going to go after that rather than go after Christ. And then go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is a passage, again, especially for me as a teacher of the Word of God, that means a lot to me. Because notice... Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.2, especially to those of us who teach the Word and preach the Word, preach the message. Be ready whether it is convenient or not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction. For there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things And they will turn away from hearing the truth. They will turn away from hearing the truth. Which implies if I'm turning away from hearing the truth, then that means I'm embracing what's false. So over and over again, we see that this isn't just something that's just hidden somewhere in one book of the Bible, like Ephesians. 
This is, a, this is a doctrine, this is a principle, this is a concept that is taught almost in every book of the New Testament. Telling us as Christians, grow, grow, grow. Because as we grow, we're going to be less susceptible to the false teaching and the false teachers out there. And one of the best things we can ever do as Christians to prevent ourselves from being duped is to continue to grow, to listen to the Holy Spirit's leading in our life, and if we have a question about something, to have at least a handful of godly people in our lives who we believe know the Word of God and who are walking with God that we can bounce something off of if we have a question and get their opinion about it. Because the Bible says that's very wise. In the multitude of godly counselors, there is safety, the book of Proverbs says. So there's many ways that even if I'm still a pretty young Christian, I've got the Holy Spirit, I've got the Bible, I've got maybe some godly people around me that I can, so that I don't go off the deep end, like all these verses are talking about. One other, if I can remember where it's at, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, oh well, I can't remember it right now, but that's okay. I will say this, there are actually two, oh I know what it is, I'm sorry, 1 John, thank you Holy Spirit, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John, all the way towards the back of the New Testament. 1 John 4.1, writing to Christians, John says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Again, over and over again, the Bible is saying to all of us as Christians, be careful, be careful, test the spirits, meaning that there is a spirit behind every human being who speaks. Either what a human being is saying is being energized by the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is the source of what they're saying, or there's another spirit that is the source of what they are saying. And so the Bible says, test the spirits. Test it by what the Bible says. And go back to the Bible and see if what is being said truly agrees with the Bible. And study the Bible. And grow in your understanding of the Bible. So that we can even grow in our discernment and test the spirits. And here's what I was going to say earlier. We're not going to turn there. There are two books. They're small, yes. But there are two books at the end, even after 1 John. And they're totally devoted to what we've just talked about here. They are a total warning, warning Christians about false doctrine and false teaching. They are the books of 2 John, the book right after 1 John, and the book of Jude, the little book right before the book of Revelation. Both of those little books, but those books in their entirety, 2 John and Jude, the whole message of those books are Christians, be careful. Christians, beware. There's so much that's false out there. Make sure you know the truth. Make sure you go back to the Bible and you compare everything you're reading and hearing and seeing with what the Bible says. 
Because just some, because someone claims to be from God doesn't mean they are. That's why I encourage folks, even who listen to me, hey, don't take my word for it. You go back and you make sure it's what the Bible says. Because just because Jeff Royce says it, what's that mean? The Bible's the authority, not Jeff Royce or any other pastor. It's the Bible that is the authority. So let's go back to the Bible and see what the Bible says. Now, I don't know, maybe I've bored a lot of you tonight. But for me, the reason we went through all these passages, if someone was to ask, now I know why Jeff acts the way he does. Because this is why. This is why I have such a... This is why I eventually would love to see the auditorium filled up on Tuesday. Because we need Christians in Bible study so that they can grow in their understanding of the Bible. Because out there, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how mature you are. We're all susceptible to false teaching. And we have to continue to grow and grow in our discernment so that we don't get duped. So that we continue to base our lives on the foundation of the truth of Jesus Christ and be set free rather than believe the lies and allow our lives to end in spiritual disaster. Back to the book of Ephesians. Let's end this tonight. So notice how Paul ends this. After verse 14, notice in verse 15, He says that spiritual growth occurs in an atmosphere of truth and love. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 15. You've got to have a balance. A church or an individual Christian has to always maintain a balance between truth and love. There are some churches out there, they got the truth down, but there's no love there. And man, they'll tell you the truth, but they do it in a very cold, unloving, this is the way it is, boom, that's it. It's either our way or the highway, that's it. Really? First of all, that's not really the truth either, but they've got the truth down, but there's not a lot of love. Then there's churches out there that it's all about love. Let's just hug each other and just just love each other. But there's never any Bible There's never any truth. There's never any biblical foundation. And therefore, you can have all the love you want, but if you don't have truth in that church, there's no discernment. There's no biblical grounding. And so that's why the Bible says in Ephesians 4.15 that a church defined by God and an individual Christian defined by God is always going to strive to maintain a balance between love and truth. We need both. We need the truth in our lives to set us free And then we need to build our lives also on love. Love and truth. We need both. And if we are going to speak truth, we need to always do it in a loving way. Love and truth. Love and truth. So that, notice, we will in all things grow up into Christ. Again, the goal... It's very clear what the goal is. The goal was never, from God's perspective, salvation being the end of it all. It's just the beginning. 
That's why, you know, it's great when people check off even here at Cornerstone on their communication card every week. I've accepted Christ as our Savior. I want to tell you as a staff, we rejoice and celebrate those every week. And we thank God for the people that are coming to know Christ as their Savior at this church and all churches. It's great when people come to Christ. I'm not minimizing that at all. But if they just stay there and that's all that ever becomes of their Christian life, how sad. Because the goal of God for their life was that they might grow up in Christ and not stay that baby Christian all their lives and not stay as that infant, that spiritual child. Because the only way any Christian is going to truly discover all that God has for them in this life, on this side of heaven, is to continue to grow and become more like Jesus Christ. And again, it's never perfection. It will never be perfection on this side of heaven. But as I share with people all the time, what God expects of Jeff Royce is that Jeff Royce is a little bit more like Jesus Christ today than I was yesterday, this week than last week, this month than last month, this year than last year. That's the expectation of God, that I just continue to make progress. That's what it is. Not perfection, but progress. That's what God wants to see in every Christian's life, that we're just making progress. And yeah, it may be infinitesimal. That's okay. Again, there are seasons where we're bearing fruit, but not every season of our life are we as fruitful as other seasons because sometimes we have to go through repair and being mended. So it's not always about, oh, I'm, I'm as fruitful. No, God doesn't expect any of us to always be maximum, maximum fruit all the time. That's not biblical. But what is biblical is that I'm just making a little bit of progress every day. A little bit more this week, a little bit more this month, a little bit more this year. So that we all, in all things, grow up into Christ who is the head. Notice in verse 16 as we end tonight, that Jesus Christ is not only the standard of our growth, He is the source of our growth. For the Bible teaches in verse 16 of Ephesians 4, from Him the whole body grows. It's, it's as we fellowship with Christ, as we get closer to Christ as a Christian, we're going to grow. We can't help but grow the closer we get to Christ. The closer a church gets to Christ, we're going to grow. That's why Jesus in John 15 used the metaphor of, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And boy, the branch that's right there with the vine, you're going to grow. Not always going to produce fruit, but you're going to grow. You're going to grow. As we stay connected to Christ... In fellowship with Him, I guarantee you, you will continue to grow. Notice, fitted and held together, and don't miss this last phrase, very important, verse 16, through every supporting ligament, as each one does its part, the body grows also in love. Don't miss what Paul is saying to us in verse 16. He is saying to us that if even one Christian fails to develop spiritually, fails to spiritually grow, the church as a whole will not be as strong as it ought to be. That's why we encourage Christians to grow. Because we understand what God is expecting here. And that is the more people we can get growing, 
The more Christians we can get involved in Bible studies and growing as a Christian and getting involved in the work of the ministry and energetically assisting other Christians and making baskets for God and, and getting involved in equipping and sometimes being the part of, of God who helps repair and mend people's lives and put them back into use and encourage them to be used again. As we do all that, the body reaches its full potential. But if even one Christian here at Cornerstone says, now I'm going to sit on the sideline. I'll let the rest of you get involved in the game and I'm just going to sort of sit on the sideline and watch. The church isn't going to be as strong as it could be or ought to be because that Christian and that Christian may be you. You have to realize through what Paul is teaching here, you have something to offer this body of believers. And you've got to stop believing the lie that you have nothing to offer. And that there is no ministry and no service and nothing that you can do to build up the body of Christ. That's a lie from Satan himself. Because he wants to keep you and me on the sideline. Because he understands the Bible sometimes better than we do. That the more Christians we get involved in growth, and the more Christians we get involved in ministry, the stronger the church becomes, and the more the church becomes what God wants it to be. Where every ligament is supporting the body, not just a part. That's why it's so sad that in many churches they say 20% of the people who attend do 80% of the ministry. How sad. 20% of the people that attend do 80%. That's the average church. I'm not saying that's cornerstone. That's the average church in America. That's what they say. How sad. That means that the church is only then going to reach 20% of its potential. Because the 80% that's sitting on the sideline, that's not involved in growing and not involved in ministry, has so much to offer that church. And there's got to be a disconnect somewhere. Either they're not being encouraged to grow and to get involved, or there's something going on there. Because every church, this is what it should be about, Ephesians chapter 4. And every Christian should be passionate about what God is passionate about. And this is what God is passionate about. So I direct your attention again to this phrase in verse 16. As each one does its part, the body grows in love. I want to end with this question tonight. I want us to leave here tonight. Obviously, we always want to have great fellowship. And I love the fact you guys hang around and talk and fellowship. That's healthy. That's important. But as we leave here tonight, I hope all of us can go home tonight with this question on our mind. What's my part? What does God want me to do here? And if Cornerstone is not your home church and you're coming here on Tuesday night from another church, we're glad to have you. God bless you. But then the question I would have for you is you go back to your home church. What is the part that God wants you to play in your home church? For those that are listening on podcast tonight, because we have people from all over the country, all over the world that listen to the mind each week. My question to you in the churches that you attend, wherever they are, what part does God want you to play?
in the body of Christ that he has placed you. Because each one of us has a part to play. That's not the question. The question is, Jesus, what's the part you want me to play? And hopefully as we ask that question, we'll be open to the answer that God is going to give us. Because he, he'll give us the answer. Because he wants us to play a part. And he'll show you what that part is if you sincerely want to know what part you can play in the body of Christ. You all are unbelievably precious and valuable to Jesus Christ. You realize, I hope, as we remind, he loved each of you so much that he went through the cross for you. Agonizing. Having his beard plucked out, scourged by the Roman soldiers, his back laid bare, the nails, because he loves us that much. Don't believe the lie of Satan that you are of little value to God. God really doesn't. I mean, he loves me, but eh, he loves everybody. It's no big deal. Uh, he really loves you personally, each and every one of you. And he's got a wonderful, wonderful plan for your life and a wonderful future for each and every one of you. Let him take you where he wants to take you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the Word of God. God, it gives us the roadmap, the, the navigation system, the, the, the modern equivalent of a GPS for us as Christians. We can navigate this life with this book. And God, I just pray that there would be a hunger and a thirst to study the Bible and to grow as a Christian like never before on this campus and on every church campus that preaches the Bible across this valley and across this country and across the world. That before Jesus comes, there would be a revival of Christians that would say, even in the midst of all these predictions and prophecies about so many people turning away from the truth and following false teachers and following false doctrine. It's not going to be me. I'm going to go after God like never before and I'm going to study the Bible like never before and I'm going to get other people to study the Bible with me and, and there's going to be a resurrection of the Bible like never before in the history of humanity. And it can start right here in Chandler, Arizona with us on Tuesday night. God, burn that within our hearts, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, before I dismiss you tonight, again, just a reminder, because the mine and kaboom follow the Chandler School District calendar, we will not meet next Tuesday, the 11th, or the following Tuesday, March 18th, but we will meet back on Tuesday, March the 25th, the Tuesday right after Easter Sunday, March 23rd. So please, mark Tuesday, March 25th, somewhere.
okay? And we will send out an email reminder to all of you that are on our email list. And please, you've got a couple weeks now to invite some people to come with you on March 25th because we're going to have an unbelievable study through the rest of the book of Ephesians when we come back from spring break. So thank you for being here. We'll see you in a couple weeks. God bless you.